Good. Okay. Well, good morning. Would you stand with us as we worship the Lord? Shame. 
we just thank you so much for that truth lord that you love us so much that you came to die for us not because of anything we did but because of who you are god and our prayer today is that next song that we're about to sing god would you meet us here this morning would you remind us that we are not enough but you are would you help us to encounter your presence
us on the cross and that we are not enough, God, that you are because of what you did for us. And in your name I pray. Amen. Thank you very much, you guys. <clears throat> Good morning. Please be seated. How's your week been? That exciting. It's been a weird one for me. I, I, can't, I can't put my finger on it. It's kind of like the twilight zone or something, you know. Each day I just didn't know what was going on in my own head. So, so it's great to be here this morning. I hope that God clears all that this morning. So we'll just ask him to do that. Father, as we continue this, thank you for this worship time that we get to express to you how great you are. That, that song, How Great the Father's Love, Lord, what an incredible lyrics to describe your love for us and what you did to pursue those who are rebelling against you and made us your children. And just the book of Romans, what, what an incredible truth, Father. So now, Lord, as we continue on, um, keep our, our minds focused, our hearts in tune with you, and we thank you. Thank you that no matter, no matter what happens in our week this week, which, whether we had great successes or failures, we sinned, we were holy, whatever it was, Father, that you never leave us or forsake us, and that you're guiding us. Thank you, Father, for your forgiveness, for your power through your spirit. In Christ's name, we give you praise. Amen. So a couple of things before we get started. After today's 11 o'clock service, so at 12.30, we're having our, our annual church meeting, all church meeting. So I, I would encourage you to come back at 12.30, go home, get breakfast, wherever you want to go, come back at 12.30. It'll be a one-hour meeting. So I, I encourage you to come back. And then second, I, I want to, um, Dennis, would you play that video we have a video we want to show you about a simulcast we're going to be showing here on March 5th. So go ahead and play that, Dennis. And Bev, if you come up afterwards and talk to us about this. That'll do, Dennis. It's looping. So the guys, this is Bev Williams, and Bev is the newest member of our missions committee. And so Bev wants to talk to you about this simulcast. Go ahead, Bev. Good morning. The video pretty much says it all, but this should be a wonderful event. 
Elementary. Uh, I encourage you to go on VOM, that's vomvoicesofthemartyrs.org, and you can look at the website for more information if you'd like to. We've also invited the Village Church to come and join us for that. So anyone else that you feel would be interested in this simulcast would be wonderful. Uh, if you have any questions, you can find me or you can go on VOM, but I encourage you to put that on your calendar and come and enjoy this event. Thanks. Thank you, Beth, very much. The, I have a great announcement for you this morning. We hired Daryl two years ago. Two years ago, actually, this last couple of weeks. And, um, and Daryl and me have, have been an incredible team together to try and lead this church to, um, to the future, to honoring God in worship and in teaching. And in conjunction with the elders, we've been praying about the fact that how do I say this in respect to those of you our age? We need to grow this church younger. And, and to see a multi-generational church. And so, so one of the people, we, we, were, we were talking with Micah over the summer and over the winter and summer about Micah potentially rising up here. And Micah had a beautiful opportunity to go to Carson for a full-time worship job down there. It was a hilltop is where he's at. Hilltop Church, and he's thriving down there, you guys. I talked to him recently. But in the midst of that, during the summertime, Micah had invited a friend of his to come worship with him, and her name was Elena. And then we found out that Elena is in her senior year at Grand Canyon University, and she needed to do an internship. So we, we, we brought her in to do an internship. In a, um, it's a paid internship. But then we realized that God has brought to us our future. And so Elena is an intern, a paid intern for the first four months. Then in May, she becomes a part-time employee here permanently as our worship leader on stage. Please clap. So, um, see, and, and I, I am so thrilled because with Elena came a, a, a hard attitude of generations working together. And pray for the worship team, because we have some phenomenally talented people on this worship team that are committed to this church, as they now try and figure out how do we express worship multi-generationally. And Elena is going to be one of the leaders. So come on up, Elena. I want to pray for Elena. And by the way, by the way, we fired Daryl. No, he told us to say that. He told us to say that. Daryl Daryl's still going to be the overall head of the ministry. And Daryl has an incredible amount of gifts that we're going to be tapping into that they take him beyond the worship team. But Elena's heart and her passion for worship, um, she and, and Lucas have become magnets for young adults to come to this church. So we are thrilled with Elena joining us. So I just want to pray for Elena. Can I pray for Elena? So Father, thank you for your heart for this church. Thank you that you, we're your people in Incline Village. Or just one group of your people in Incline Village. And you have seen fit to bring Elena to us. And we thank you for that blessing. And I just ask that you be with her. You fill her with your spirit to lead, to guide both the worship team and this congregation each week in worship. And, and give the elders and Daryl and I great wisdom to see how we move this church forward in this area. To your honor and glory. To maturing the saints and seeing people come to faith in Jesus. So what a great privilege we have, Father. Thank you. In Christ's name, we give you praise. Amen. Thank you, Elena. With that, we're going to go in the book of Romans. So open up to Romans chapter 8.
And this, has been a diff- this was a very difficult passage for me. In fact, this is one of those passages in Scripture, and I'll explain as we walk through it, that I've always struggled with. I said, if I'm going to teach the book of Romans, I've got to figure this paragraph out here in Romans 8. And I'm not sure I've entirely figured it out, but you can tell me later whether I made sense. But I want you to think now of a metamorphosis, okay? And the best, the best illustration in nature of metamorphosis is a, a what? A butterfly, exactly right. The concept of being a caterpillar, going into a cocoon and coming out sometime later, I, I should know how long, but I don't, as a beautiful butterfly. And the idea there of, of changing from one thing to the other. And in Scripture, we talked all in Romans about this metamorphosis that's happened to us. That Romans presents us. If you go back to Romans chapter 5, verse 6, 7, 8, 9, and 10, right there it presents us. It calls us helpless, godless, sinners. And in verse 10, it caps it, enemies of God. But then God took us from being condemned to being pardoned from life of eternity away from God condemned to absolutely no condemnation in Christ Jesus. And, and why did he do this? We learned last week. Because he loves you deeply. And we learned that nothing will ever separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. How did he do this? How did he take you from condemned to accepted? from condemned enemy to a child of God? He did it by uniting you in Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. And so that union with him, all of a sudden, all that Christ was, all that we were as sinners was given to Christ. And all that Christ accomplished and all who he is is given to us, the righteousness of God. So that's where we were last week. What I want to read to you is Romans 8, 1 through 13, which is our text for today, to, and, and we, we did 1 through 4 last week, but I'm going to start there again today, and I want you to see that this, this status of change is more than just a position before God. Something is truly changed in who you are, thus the metamorphosis. It's not just how God sees you differently, you are different. So let me read Romans 8, 1 to 13, so read along with me. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the spirit. We'll stop there for a moment. That was last week's text where I talked to you the fact that the law is the standard. The law is the standard and the fact that we failed miserably. So Christ kept the law and since we were in Christ when he lived his life, we were in Christ when he died, when he was buried, when he was raised again, we descended to the right hand of God. Everything he did is accounted to us. So when he fulfilled the righteous requirement of the law, so did you and I. We looked at that last week. Verse 5 now, where we're starting today. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death. But to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. 
Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. Verse 12. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So the reason this passage has been difficult for me, because we have this this beginning and end of the chapter. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Then we get to the end of the chapter, and it says, what can ever separate you from the love of God? Nothing can. There's There's this emphasis on your security in Christ. You will never be condemned because you trusted in Christ. And on the other side, that is based upon the love of God for you, which does not change. It's not based upon you, it's based upon him. But in the middle there, in that section of 5 through 12, he talks, 5 through 13, he talks a lot about your mindset. Where's your mind? If your mind's on the flesh, you're going to die. Now that sounds like minimal security. It sounds like it depends upon me to keep something. And so... I always said, I don't know how to do with, deal with this. So what would be really nice as a pastor and a teacher is to skip this passage and move on to things I understand. I can't do that, though. I'd love to. I'm serious. I would. Um, but I have a commitment as I, in my teaching philosophy, and that is that God wrote to us books. And, and, and to, to move through a book is the way he wants us to understand his word. Nothing wrong with topical teaching. We did that for the last month. But we need to move through Paul's argument, his logical presentation of the gospel here and how it affects us. And and when we get to things that are difficult to understand, we need to say, okay, God, help me understand it. And we figure it out the best we can and we move forward. So that's what I want to try and do today with this passage that seems to imply if your mind is on the flesh, you're going to die. And everyone in this room right now is going, you know what? Regularly, my mind runs to the flesh. Does not sometimes, I, I said regularly, sometimes, occasionally, sometimes, all the time, your mind run into areas you are ashamed of? You start thinking about things that aren't who you are anymore? So when that happens, does that mean I don't belong to Jesus and I'm going to die? That's where we're going today. So with that, i got to remind you of three foundational truths. Before we jump into this passage verse by verse, Here's three things you've got to remember for this passage and for as we move ahead in Romans. The first is there's two realms of existence. Either you're in the flesh or in the spirit, one or the other. So that's the first thing I want to establish. You're in the flesh or the spirit. And Paul has talked about this all the way back to Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 7 verse 5, he says this. For while we were living in the flesh, that is prior to coming to know Jesus, that we were, we were controlled by sin, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. If you remember the law, the law reminded us of our sin. The law is not bad. The law is good and holy and just. But it simply reminded us of who we were. But now, in Christ, we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive. So we are to serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old 
way of the written code. If you see up there, you see the word captive in the second line. That's the idea of being a prisoner to sin. But we've been delivered from that. Now we're in the spirit. And it says there, we serve in the new way of the spirit. The word serve is the verb to be a slave. See, you used to be a slave to your sin, which the law pointed out, your sin. But now we've been delivered from that. And now we serve as a slave to the new way of life, which is in Christ Jesus. So the first thing you got to remember is either in the flesh or in the spirit. The second thing, and we'll develop this more, the second thing is the power of the spirit in you to obey is promised in the new covenant. If we go back to Ezekiel 36, the passage on the new covenant, it talks about what's going to happen. God says, you know, I'm going to bring a new covenant to you because the old one did not accomplish righteousness in you, but I'm going to bring a new covenant that will accomplish righteousness. And one of the promises of the new covenant was the Spirit of God would live in you permanently. Listen to what Ezekiel says about that. He says in Ezekiel 36, 27, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. So what we see here is obedience is part of the new covenant. The power to obey comes from the spirit. Often what we say is, oh, I am saved by God's grace, not by works. It's not my performance that gets me saved. It's not my obedience to the law that gets me saved. It's by trusting in Jesus because he did it all. Now I'm saved. I don't got to worry about the rules anymore. All that was true until the last line. Do you know the New Testament has as many commands as the Old Testament? You see, obedience to God is incredibly important. The issue was under the Old Covenant... The Old Covenant, the Mosaic Law, was designed to show us our sin, to drive us to Jesus. That's what Galatians teaches us. And coming to Jesus, now he redeems me. He changes who I am through his spirit, and he empowers me now to obey his word. So obedience is one of the goals of the gospel. It's not a secondary thing. It's not an unimportant thing. Somehow somehow we've turned it into that. It doesn't matter if I obey because I'm saved. What we're going to learn today is who you are in Christ will result in a desire to obey. And you have the power to do so through the Spirit. Second thing. Now the third thing. Today, as we sit here, our bodies remain unredeemed. Scriptures teach us that something about me is brand new. I'm born again. Paul tells us that, behold, all things are new in you. And the righteousness of Christ is mine. He took my sin away. I'm forgiven. But this body has issues beyond short legs and bald head. I'm looking right at you there, brother. The body is a battleground. Listen to what Paul said in Romans 7.24. In his struggle with sin, Paul says this. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from the body of this death? Or who will deliver me from this dead body? Part of this, the whole issue of Romans, the whole theme of Romans, is how do you live today as a born-again person with the Spirit of God in you, empowering you to obey in a body that likes to disobey? So those three things, either in the Spirit or in the flesh, that God has given you the Spirit with the power to obey, 
but our body's unredeemed. We still got to deal with that fight. Those three things will now inform the rest of this sermon in the paragraph. You with me? Okay. That makes sense so far? That didn't sound good. So let's go Romans 8, we're starting in verse 5. All exist in one of two realms, the spirit of the flesh. So everyone in this room is either in the flesh or in the spirit. You're not both. And so Paul talks about that now. Now, now yet we have to read verse 4 again in Romans 8, 4. It's not going to be on the screen. But Paul says that, you know, God condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So he's making a, a statement about Christian believers that he's writing to. You live your life, you walk, your conduct in life is according to the Spirit, not the flesh. Now, in verse 4, he picks it up. Excuse me, verse 5. Let's look at 5, five and 6. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For, the, for to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. These are the verses that have always troubled me. That, because some days my mind is on the flesh. My mind is thinking about sinful things. My mind is thinking about selfish things. And so, so who, am I in the flesh or am I in the Spirit? Which one am I? Am I alive or am I dead? This is what struggled with me. I have struggled with. And my understanding is I've studied this week when it says that the mind set on the spirit of flesh, this is not describing active thinking processes. This is not talking about, oh, I had bad thoughts today, therefore I must be in the flesh and I'm going to die. It's actually talking about a, a, a how does, um, listen to the NET, the New English translation. It won't be on the screen. But listen to how they translate this. For those who live according to the flesh have their outlook shaped by the things of the flesh. Did you hear that? They have their outlook shaped by the things of the flesh. It's talking more about a worldview, more about a perspective on life, not my active thinking in the last hour or, or how I lived my life yesterday, whether I was successful in following Jesus or not. It's talking about my overall view of life, my outlook. If I'm in the spirit, my outlook on, on the world should be a spiritual one as opposed to a fleshly one. Paul goes on, but those who live according to the Spirit have their outlook shaped by the things of the Spirit. For the outlook of the flesh is death, but the outlook of the Spirit is life and peace. So my question to you is, do, do you have a biblical worldview outlook? Since coming to Jesus, you should see the world through the eyes of Christ. That's the Spirit that gives you that. And, and that then brings life and peace. But if we've missed the whole point of the gospel... And we simply, simply see salvation as nothing more than forgiveness, and I still have a rotten life that I live, but I'm still forgiven. We've missed the point. Paul's saying here, no, you've been saved from this entire outlook of the flesh, the entire way of life that the flesh controlled and moved into a new way called the spirit. And there's this outlook of the spirit, um, an outlook shaped by the things of the spirit. That is our life. So, so with that, it's not describing your mind as much as what you're putting your mind on as a Christian. One biblical commentator called it your worldview. Do you see the world through the eyes of Christ? So now, so that is we all exist in one realm or the other. If you've come to Jesus, you've been delivered from the flesh, the sin, the selfishness, and put in the realm of the Spirit, which is life and peace. Which one controls your worldview? 
Let's move on to verse 8 and 9. The result of living in each realm is death or life. Now, I, I tend, I, when, I, when I, so I, I send these notes off Thursday morning to Daryl and Elena and Dennis, and they make the slides, they make the, the, the thing we put online, I send it to Bree, she puts it online where you can download the outline. We used to hand them out, but um, now it's online. I realized this, yesterday morning I mislabeled this. I say the result of living in each realm, life or death, that's true, but that was just stated in verse 6. I'm going to move on to verse 7 and 8, so the better title should be the handicap of the mind set on the flesh. If your mind is set on the flesh, here's the handicap that you have. Let's look at 7 and 8 now. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot, and those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Now, this is very important, so please stay with me here. I open this up talking about the law, since we're, the law is not the means by which we gain righteousness. Nobody in this room has kept the rules and come to God and say, God, you owe me right, you, you owe me a declaration of righteousness because I have earned it. No one gets to do that. In fact, if we want to do that, what's God going to say to us? Eh, failed. But I look at you. God's perspective, I look at you, and because you trusted in my son, I've given you his righteousness. Because you've trusted in my son, he kept the law, and I've given that to you. You've kept the law. But even more, I've given you my spirit. Now, you're capable of keeping the law. Stay with me here. So, so stay with me. The law of Moses has three basic areas. The law of Moses has the areas of the sacrificial system that Israel had to do. The law of Moses had governmental rules, how Israel was to live as a government and as a people. Like, you know, if my neighbor, we had a border between our yards, I don't get to move the line over and say, hey, I'm taking your property. So God gave laws that dealt how do we live together as a community. Then God gave laws, what are called moral laws which the Ten Commandments bring to us. You don't murder, you don't commit adultery, you don't steal, you don't lie. You, don't, you honor your mother and father, you don't worship idols. This is the moral laws of God. When Christ came, he fulfilled the ceremonial laws of sacrifices. No longer have to sacrifice animals for your forgiveness. When Christ came, he fulfilled the laws that applied to Israel as a nation. And God created a new people called the church, Jew and Gentile. And these Jew and Gentiles are still, though, here to honor the moral law of God. Which the New Testament is filled with all the principles and laws and rules, you might call them, that God gave in the Old Testament. They're repeated in the New Testament. But what it means to live a God-like life in the world. If you go to Ephesians chapter 4, it tells us, stop lying to one another. Stop lying to one another, but speak the truth and edify one another. That's the ninth commandment. Stop stealing, Ephesians says. Use your hands to do good for somebody else. That's the eighth commandment. The moral laws are repeating the New Testament. They're still binding on us. But now here's the good news. I can do them. I'm fully capable of obeying them. Where before they were a burden because I was in the flesh. But now I'm in the spirit made alive and empowered by the spirit of God. I can follow the commands of God. 
The person in the flesh cannot do so, it says there in 7. For the mindset on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. And those who in the, in the flesh cannot please God. But if you're in the spirit, what that means is you can submit to the law of God. All those commands that have been brought in from the old to the new. And you can live a life that pleases God. Do you believe that? Remember I asked you before, a couple weeks ago, do you believe God is for you? Hello? And I asked that a couple weeks in a row, and and we confirmed from Scripture, God is 100% for you. Now do you believe you can actually live a life that pleases your Heavenly Father? That that God says, well done. You're living exactly like I made you to be. Good job. Do you believe that? Because often, often we believe this lie, I'm forgiven, but I'm still incapable of living a life that pleases God, but I'm so glad I'm forgiven. Well, I never want to undermine forgiveness. It's ours. But above and beyond that is the power through the Spirit to obey Him, to, I know this might sound cheeky, but to put a smile on God's face. I'm sure if you have children here, at times you were saying, man, that kid brings me so much joy. I'm so proud of him. I'm so proud of her. God does that. And we get to say, God, it's all because of you. You're the one that accomplished this in me. Thank you for changing my life. I want you to think about this. The mindset on the flesh is incapable of pleasing God. The mindset on the spirit is capable of it. And, and these laws, these laws, I want you to think about how the scriptures summarize them. What did Jesus say was the greatest commandment? When someone asked Jesus what is the greatest commandment, what did Jesus say? Love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, which he's quoting Deuteronomy 6. It's not one of the Ten Commandments. It's, I, believe, I believe it's the summary of the first four commandments, which are about obeying God. Love the Lord God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And then the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's commandments 5 through 10. How we live with each other. So loving God and loving my neighbor is about obeying the commands of God, which in the result, in result is a proof I love him and I love you. So if I truly love him and love you, I'm going to naturally pursue the things that demonstrate that love for him and love for you. Do you get that? Paul goes on to talk about these things. He says this in, in, in later in Romans. We'll get there, Romans 13. Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves one another has fulfilled the law. You see, love, each, loving each other fulfills the law. Love, there's no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Galatians chapter 6 says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. What's the law of Christ? When someone said, what's the greatest commandment? Jesus said, love God and love your neighbor. That's the law of Christ. If, if my heart that's been made new and empowered by the Spirit gets, I truly grasp who I am, then I'm going to live a life in the Spirit of loving God, loving my neighbor, and thus keeping his commandments. I'm not talking perfection. Please hear me. It's not perfection. Because of my dead body, I will fight sin every single day. We'll get to that in a moment. Now let's keep going on here. I hope I, hope I haven't confused you. Now we're going to look at 
The believer has life because of the indwelling spirit, verses 9 through 11. If you notice your notes, I say the triune God, the Trinity. Let me read 9 through 11. Here's what I want you to, I want you to hear the different, the different people according to this passage that dwell inside of you. You with me? Okay. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If, here it is, if, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you. So who dwells in you? Spirit of God. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. Now whose spirit is it? The spirit of Christ. First it was the spirit of God dwelling in you. Now it's called the spirit of Christ dwelling in you. Therefore making Christ. Okay, that, that, was, that, that was a logical sequence. Let's do it again. The spirit of God dwells in you. The spirit of Christ dwells in you. Making the spirit of Christ. Or making Christ God. Okay, Paul is simply making a statement here. The spirit of God and the spirit of Christ are the same spirit. Therefore Christ is God. But if Christ is in you. Although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. So you have the spirit of God, you have the spirit of Christ, and you have Christ inside of you. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So we see here four times it's talking about the spirit is in you, the spirit of God, the spirit of Christ, Christ is in you, and the spirit who raised Jesus from the dead is in you. All the same person. And, and, and I always want you to think of it this way. Often we think of a trinity. Think of the old peace sign. The peace sign, you know, you have a circle with a line coming down and it splits. You guys all know this. Young and old knows this. We tend to think of the trinity that way. Where the peace sign divides the circle into three, three triangles. And we tend to think of the trinity as these very neat categories. And see, I believe the trinity is definitely three distinct persons. The Father, Son, Holy Spirit, who are eternally one God. I 100% believe that. But I think we've so lot, used our logic to create these categories that the scriptures tend to see flowing. You see, the Spirit of God is also called the Spirit of Christ. And he dwells in you, but Christ also dwells in you. And so and we can find another passage where Jesus tells his disciples, the Father and I are going to come dwell in you. It says the Father's in you, the Son's in you, the Spirit's in you, and they all are working in your life. So I think, I think we need to keep the Trinity, one God, three distinct persons, but keep it fluid how they're working in your life. Does that make sense? But the important thing here for Paul's argument, that's something we pull out of it. What he's saying here is you aren't in the flesh or in the Spirit if the Spirit of God dwells in you. How do you know the Spirit of God is in you? This is a very important question. How do you know the Spirit of God dwells in you? It, it's interesting. If, if I really could give a microphone to everybody, you'd all have probably some different perspectives. We're going to see in the next week's message, it, spe- it says that the Spirit of God tells you you belong to God. There's an internal witness of the Spirit in me. So, so I have this experience with the Spirit. But so far in this passage, here's how you know the Spirit of God dwells in you. Are you obeying God? See, it's not, you don't, the Spirit doesn't come in you because you obey. It's not the result of obedience. You didn't earn it. But because the Spirit of God is in you and changed who you are, now you have the power to obey. So if you are now obeying God or before you disobeyed Him, that's proof the Spirit of God is in you. Very important to see the distinction here. It's not something you earned. It's the result of the grace of God in you, giving you his spirit. 
All right. We're going to keep moving. I apologize here. The next section. Our responsibility in our new life. Put to death the deeds of the body. Before I read these passages, let's remind ourselves. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen? Who can take that away from you? We get to Romans 8. There was four questions we talked about last week. You know, if God is for you, who's against you? That was the first question. The fourth question was, what can separate us from the love of Christ? In the end, Romans 8.1 and Romans, the last paragraph, I'm secure in Christ. That security isn't an opportunity for doing what I want. That security is an opportunity for doing what God wants. And learning to take joy in what he wants. He calls it life and peace. Which puts this responsibility on you to put to death the deeds of the body. Let me read to you verses 12 and 13. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So here's this thing we know for certain. God has saved me, will not condemn me, and his love will never leave me. But in the middle space of that is a responsibility each of us have to fight the fight as I still live in a body that's unredeemed, a body that craves things that are contrary to the will of God. And I don't want to get too base here, but you can think about, I mean, two illustrations real quick. God has given you two gifts. You meant multiple gifts, but two gifts as it relates to your physical body. The gift of food and the gift of sex. Okay, I want you to know those are gifts from God. And I think you would agree with me that a great meal and sex within the boundaries of God's design are both incredible. Okay? But our bodies take those and distort them. Those which are gifts from God, designed to sustain life, food, and to bring life, sex with your mate, to produce children, designed to bring life, we will turn into addictions that destroy us. Are you with me? So we are to put to death the deeds of the body. When my body craves something that is technically good, but it craves it for the wrong reasons, I need to put that to death. Paul mentions this kind of thing when he talks about in Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh that is in this body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And those who, so this, that was Galatians 2.20. I've been crucified with Christ. Now look what he does with that crucifixion in 5.24. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. You see, I, when Jesus died, I died. Now what he's saying is that these passions of the body that are inappropriate before God, I crucify those. I put them to death. So what he says in Galatians, he says he crucifies. When he says in Romans, you need to put those to death. This is battle. This is spiritual warfare. This is proof the Spirit of God is in you. 
Do you grasp the things of your body that, that crave out for evil that you say, you know what, that's not who I am anymore. And I will not allow my body to control me. I will control my body because of the power of God in me through his spirit, the new nature that I have, I am born again. And I will honor God with my body because this is what brings me life and peace. Too often we think, oh, uh, if only I could just indulge in that, I'd be such, so happy. How many of you know just those two examples, food and sex? If you know someone addicted to them, how happy are they? They're not. They're not happy, they're slaves. But you see, you've been delivered what held you captive, and you now serve God in a new way in the Spirit. So, the presentation of Scripture, and this is what I want us to understand today, the presentation of Scripture is God has done all the work to save you. You didn't do anything to save yourself. Ephesians 2 also, Ephesians 2.8 says, By grace you have been saved through faith, and that's not of yourself that it's a gift of God. Even the faith is a gift from God to believe. He's the one who saved you. But the flip side of that coin is, having saved you, having made you new, there's a great calling on your life. A calling on your life to live godly and to love others. And you can fulfill that calling. And the beauty of it is, when you fail, you come to him and say, Lord, I've, I've failed again. Forgive me, Lord Jesus. And the scripture says, he is faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And re-empower you to jump back in the fight. It's an amazing truth of the gospel. Never stop with, I'm saved, forgiven, therefore what I do doesn't matter. I'm saved and forgiven. Now, I can do what matters. Put a smile on God's face. There's the book of Romans so far. I encourage you to read through this chapter, think through it, read in different translations, and think through what I've said to keep in balance what God has done in me that I deserve none of but by his grace, and then what he has called me to be and do once he's done that. Let's pray. Father, I thank you, Father, for your word, for this week, me struggling through this text, for looking at my own life, the struggles I have, and when I, when I choose not to fight the good fight and in, in putting to death the deeds of the flesh. Thank you for your mercy and grace, but also, Lord, thank you for the power that brings victory and the incredible satisfaction to know that, that I have pleased my God. Thank you, Father. You're so kind. You're so patient. You're so gracious. We love you. In Christ's name, amen. Elena, would you do me a favor? Would you re-sing How Great the Father's Love before we do the last song? Or you do whatever order you want. Which one do you want to do first? How deep the Father's love. Okay, so we're going to re-sing How Deep the Father's Love. Please stand up. This song written by Stuart Townsend 25 years ago um, is one of the most profound theological songs we have to describe what we've been learning in Romans. So sing through this. Keep in mind what we've been learning in Romans and, and, and give God great worship. Thank you.
tossing was heavy, but chains breaking the weight of your glory. I needed shelter, I was an orphan. Now you call me a citizen of heaven. When I was broken, you were my healing. Now your love is the Sunday and we'll see you next week.